Hey Alexa, Black Friday's coming up. What do you think of that? This might answer your question. Black Friday will start in three days, seven hours, and seven minutes on Friday, November 27th, 2020. Did that answer your question? Yes, I suppose it did. Alexa, what should I buy for Black Friday? Here are your top Amazon deals. Amazon Smart Plug. Here is your next deal. Ring Video Doorbell 3 with enhanced Wi-Fi and improved motion detection. Here is your next deal. Ring Video Doorbell 3 Plus with enhanced Wi-Fi and 4-second video previews. Here is your next deal. Ring Video Doorbell Pro. I'm sensing a pattern. Hey Google, Black Friday's coming up. What do you think of that? Sorry, I don't understand. Hey Google, what should I buy for Black Friday? Sorry, I don't understand. Hey Google, what's Black Friday? Here's a summary from Wikipedia. Black Friday is an informal name for the Friday following Thanksgiving Day in the United States, which is celebrated on the fourth Thursday of November. The day after Thanksgiving has been regarded as the beginning of the United States Christmas shopping season since 1952. Hey Google, what's the best gift I can buy at the holidays? Sorry, I didn't understand. Once again, I leave this little exercise a lot less concerned that AI has taken over the world. And now, cue the new theme music. You wake up in a different time, a different place, a different life. Are you perfect? And is it worth it? Self-destruct, count it down. One step farther, you're getting now to perfect. But is it worth it? That was the song Tourist by Tess Stevens. She's a local San Francisco artist who obviously brings the rock and roll. But my favorite thing about her is the signature file on her email in which she describes herself as journalist, musician, artist, and content strategist. Now that is a combo for the future, my friends. You can check out the full version of the song Tourist at the end of this podcast and also find Tess on TikTok and Instagram at F. Stevens links in the show notes. Quick housekeeping announcement. Starting in 2021, mercifully just a few weeks away, I'll be moving to a just-in-time publishing process where I'm going to record, edit, and publish within just a few days and try to keep the content here as timely as possible. But for today, I've got a really interesting interview I recorded just a couple of weeks ago with Jack O'Leary, an e-commerce guru. It's really interesting check it out. Well, I'm super excited to have on the podcast today, Jack O'Leary, who's a senior analyst with Edge by Essential. Jack is my go-to expert for all things Amazon, because to my mind, he has his finger on the pulse of Amazon more than anybody I know. He does a monthly webinar series all about the developments on Amazon. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Really recommended listening for everyone who's interested in the e-commerce landscape. In terms of his uh, education, he went to Boston College of course, that's the Eagles led by Baldwin the Eagle. Get it like a bald eagle. It's, <laughs> so I'm super excited to have you on the show today, Jack. Welcome to the program. Stephen, thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, before we get into all the insights about Amazon and everything consumer behavior related to Amazon, I like to play a little game when folks come on the podcast, a little game I call the lightning round. The lightning round. I am so good at lightning rounds. I majored in lightning rounds. Are you ready for the lightning round, Jack? Awesome. I'm ready. Let's do it. What is your hometown? 
I'm from a, a small town north of Boston, Massachusetts. It's called Topsfield, uh, famous for being the home of America's oldest fair and not much else. If you were not in the research and insights business, what would you be doing? In respect of the lightning round and trying to be creative here, I've always, I've always kind of romanticized uh, the writer's lifestyle. Who knows if I would be good at it, but that would definitely be a cool field to be in. Nice. Would you do fiction or nonfiction? I think fiction would be uh, most interesting. But again, who knows how, I, how I'd be at it. Uh, you'd be writing the great American novel if you weren't working for Edge, I'm sure. Yeah, I'd try. <laughs> what book or podcast would you recommend to folks these days? Um, I've actually been listening to a great podcast. It's a little bit outside the realm of kind of our coverage area with like e-commerce, retail, what have you. It's called Invest Like the Best. It comes out by a, a gentleman known as Patrick O'Shaughnessy. He's heads up an asset management firm, but he just gets these really excellent guests on from investing and, and, and startups and tech and, and really dives deep into kind of the principles and heuristics that they use to, to conduct their businesses, but also has a really great future focused element. So great for kind of helping uh, framing your mind for kind of making predictions about the future of various spaces, including consumer. What is your favorite website or app that many people haven't heard of? We did a little bit of research. We were looking at some various uh, direct-to-consumer websites, and I got a good amount of utility out of a, a website known as builtwith.com. And basically, you can enter any URL into, into their interface, and they'll show you the various tools and APIs that kind of underlie uh, their platforms, so you can do a little bit of research on on what they're using to power their websites. Great for competitive intelligence. I've used that before. What was the last thing you bought online? Oh, not very, not very exciting. But uh, not many haircuts these days uh, during COVID. So uh, I ran out of hair product and uh, ordered uh, some replacement of that off of Amazon. Oh man, the good old days when I used to buy hair products. I miss that. <laughs> What's the most unusual thing you've bought online? Keep it safe for work, please. Yes, very safe for work, um, but interesting, maybe a little bit into kind of the Amazon uh, analyst side for me. But uh, we vacationed my family down on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, um, and we, my dad and I started to kind of play around with um, clamming as a hobby. So I was looking to buy a clam rake for us. And I thought that would be the last thing you'd ever find on like an e-commerce site. Talk about long tail of long tails in terms of assortment. But I went to Amazon and sure enough, they actually had multiple listings. I think it was three or four different competing clam rakes for purchase. Um, so we, we were able to get that with prime delivery and, and, and use that this past summer, um, just getting some shellfish for, for cookouts. This past weekend, we've been having king tides out here where I live in San Francisco. So that's, you know, super high tides and also super low tides. So I went out with a friend at super low tide to do some tide pooling. Tons of people out clamming and looking for mussels. Uh, really interesting. So good to know I can go to Amazon for that, just like everything else. Absolutely. Uh, so now I know you're a young man, but what, uh, what brand do you remember fondly from your childhood? It's funny, uh, and I'm going to consider this a brand, even though it's it's maybe more of a trademark. But uh, you know, Space Jam, the movie, that made a made a really big impression on me. So mm -hmm. uh, as that kind of evolved into its own uh, brand in terms of you know posters, uh, apparel, um, anything to do with Michael Jordan or the Space Jam uh, franchise, that's that's probably what kind of uh, sticks out uh, in 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 my head the most. There, that and Looney Tunes, I guess, from the characters from that movie. I've had more than one person talk about Nikes and Air Jordans in response to this question. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. I like it. So what is your personal favorite brand today? 
So we at Edge, we serve um, the kind of consumer manufactured goods industry, plenty of um, amazing brands, and, and, and uh, they're all our favorites. So I'm going to go a little bit outside of, of that kind of typical consumer brand space with my pick. And, and I think, you know, lately I've been spending a lot of time, as I'm sure many people have, on Instagram. I just feel like it's, it's basically just a virtual mood board. It's a great way for kind of tracking what's going on in culture. Uh, obviously seeing beautiful images, seeing funny things. Um, so I feel like Instagram has been really valuable through me, for me through this time period to just kind of stay on top of trends and what's happening out there. And I think they just are in culture, a singular brand that's super influential, the way people talk about Instagramming like a verb. Um, mm. Instagramming can become a career. Instagram is just a super powerful brand and figure in our culture today. Anytime your brand becomes a verb, you know you're making it. Mm. Given everything that's going on in the world today, what brands do you think really get it? So it's funny, Yuri referenced it with the, uh, the childhood remark, but, and it says something about the power of this brand. I think Nike, um, you know, outside of the pandemic, has really been very thoughtful in their strategies as they kind of moved through and into this e-commerce dominated age. What I mean there more specifically is they've understood that they have this extremely powerful and long remembered brand equity. And they've taken advantage of that kind of selectively slowing down to some extent or being more selective in their wholesale channel and really powering up their direct to consumer business, both home delivery and through their flagship stores to just massive success. So I think the revitalization we've seen out of Nike, both in kind of their business model and kind of their just total uh, brand and portfolio go to market strategy has been something really interesting to watch. Nike is a super interesting brand, obviously very powerful around the world, but one that is really, I think, hasn't been afraid to make big changes. Because just a few years ago, they made big headlines in uh, saying they were going to start selling on Amazon, which they hadn't done historically. And then just a couple of years later saying, no, we're, we're not going to sell on Amazon because they've obviously got a huge following of really engaged fans that will that will seek them out on their own website and really kind of pay premium prices for their flagship product. Well, thank you for participating in the lightning round, lightning round, lightning round, the lightning round. And, you know, on this podcast, we obviously focus mostly on consumer behavior and trends, not so much on methodology. I'm a methodology geek. I could talk about it for a long time, but it puts most people to sleep. But I think it might give people just a little bit of context if you could give us some sense of what's the source of the, the data that, that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my background, senior analyst at Edge by Essential. And Edge by Essential is the leading retail and e-commerce analytics, insights, consulting, publishing company. And we really help major brands around the world just win in this kind of digital dominated environment we're currently in with uh, retailers across the gamut on a global basis. And so within Edge by Essential, we do this in a number of different respects. We've got pure kind of data-oriented tools. We have a market share tool that helps brands monitor their sales and share on Amazon on an ongoing basis, really understanding how they're doing against their competition. We also have a price and promo tool. Similarly, helps brands monitor their pricing and promotional strategies across a, a range of e-commerce platforms. We also help brands monitoring their digital shelf presence, making sure they've got the correct kind of product content, uh, images, and text on various e-commerce platforms. And then we get into the part of the business that I work on most closely, although I do work and kind of get insights from those other tools, our retail insight platform, which is really we public, where we publish our research on various kind of e-commerce and retail topics. We also have a data tool there known as the Retail Market Monitor. 
And that is basically a global database covering all of the formal chain retailers around the world, separating out their sales, their stores, their e-commerce sites, both going backwards in time and forward with projections to 2025. And it's a really powerful and globally comparable database that allows me as an analyst and our team to kind of make projections that are really uh, you know, grounded in data about you know, things like what kind of share is Amazon taking from the rest of the US or other markets kind of total retail environment, which store format that Walmart launched recently is growing the fastest. Uh, we also can look at this in other markets as well. So between the combination of, of this really diverse base of, of tools that Edge by Essential offers, we really do have a quantitative derived vision of, of what we think the future of retail is going to represent. Well, like I said at the top of the show, when I'm wondering about Amazon and what's going on there, you're my go-to resource because you guys can pull data from so many different aspects of how consumers interact with Amazon. If we just kind of think about consumer behavior during Corona generally, we all know, I'm putting that sort of in air quotes, we all know some obvious things. Zoom and e-commerce and e-commerce for grocery in particular are up and travel and restaurants restaurants are down, but through your lens, through the data that you see, what are some of the more overlooked or impactful or particularly interesting ways that you see consumer behavior changing right now? I think, you know, you hit on it. And, and I think at this stage, uh, you know, this is one of those events. It's one of those rare events that kind of one affects the whole world and two goes on for, for month after month after month. So I think in general, we as kind of an environment analyzing this are, are kind of aware of what these giant shifts are. I think what we've come to uh, find to be very clear is we're, 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 we're away from kind of the whiplash of everything is going to be absolutely purely digital. There is no future of the, the, the office. Everyone's going to be work from home from, from you know, the woods of Maine to you know, uh, a, a tropical island. People aren't going to go to a store to buy a single thing in the future. It's all just going to be delivered into your refrigerator. All of these things have, have grains of truth to where we've gotten now. But I think what's been proven out here is that um, you know it's trends that were going to occur or happen in three years from now were just brought forward to today. And a lot of the things that were existing before that consumers do like to shop in stores, that consumers do maybe get utility uh, more so from driving and doing a quick and collect order versus getting a home delivery order, depending on who they are, um, that yes, some consumers are going to adopt and then uh, increase the, the share of their sales dollars going to home delivery orders long term. I think this mosaic of us just being launched maybe two to three years faster into the future here is really how I sit kind of when trying to draw a broad macro insight uh, of, of our current environment. And I think, you know, we'll get into some of the details on that and some of your, your later questions, I'm sure. But I think I think it's it's a viewpoint that's maybe not all that profound in terms of you know world shaking news, but I think it's one of us reaching an environment of omni-channel is a true trend, and we are going to have kind of a moderated changed experience, but one is that is just maybe something that we were going to reach in two to three years from now. Obviously, a lot of people have written about how coronavirus has accelerated existing trends, and certainly we see some of that. I've seen numbers that say, you know, it's accelerated e-commerce from two to three years to up to 10 years, and obviously that differs a lot by category. I, I think especially for grocery, which I think we'll talk about, which historically has been a category that has been a little slow 
slow in terms of its acceptance here in the U.S., but has really picked up in recent years. So I'm sure we'll, we'll dig into that more as we go along. As I said, you know, I always come to you for Amazon Insights as you look at Amazon over the course of 2020. Obviously, this just in, they're big and they're having a good year. What are some of the trends that you see? How overall is Amazon doing? In- you know, I think high level, uh, yes, they're doing good. I, and I think, you know, some of the things to call out from their from their quarterly reports really do indicate that. The fact that we're seeing the second quarter and the third quarter reporting higher sales volumes than the previous year's Q4, which contains holiday. Amazon's a highly cyclical business. That is intensely unusual. Um, has not happened in the modern history of Amazon. So it says something about you know what we all know to be true, that e-commerce demand trends have been uh, uplifted tremendously by what we've seen through the COVID period here. You know, I think more interestingly is to see Amazon prove itself out as the really innovative and adaptable business model that we've, we've always talked about to be. But, you know, it's interesting to see that kind of pressure put on them in the midst of a Q2, which is generally their most quiet quarter, uh, namely their fulfillment, the fact that they were able to kind of rapidly ramp up capacity. Yes, there was some outages and delays of delivery and out of stocks of certain items, but they were really dynamic in kind of getting back up in stock and delivering things rapidly during this period. I think it's gonna affect as we move into Q4 and, and the kind of the crunch time period of the end of the year here, how they do manage this fulfillment center you know, space and fulfillment in general. Amazon added more square footage of fulfillment centers in the first half of this year than it has it added in the previous year um, in total. I think what we're gonna see Amazon doing here is really maybe pushing more orders that come in to you know, merchants that can fulfill their own orders last mile. I think accelerating a trend we've seen for a bit here. Amazon is, is definitely going to potentially have some outages as we move through the holiday period. So again, I think fulfillment, which has always been kind of Amazon's biggest choke point, and I don't want to call it weakness, but basically area that they have to focus the most on because it really is truly what differentiates them. Um, has been the big theme of the year. And, and Am- Amazon has really kind of responded admirably in, in its ability to ramp up and uh, and keep up with, with demand trends to some extent as we've kind of gotten into Q3 and looking forward to Q4. Amazon's always had the luxury of not really having to care a whole lot about profits or earnings. And they've always erred on the side of just growing market share, growing volume of sales and becoming more ingrained in consumer lives with the thought of, well, you know, we'll really, you know, ramp it up on the earnings down down the road. And so I, I think you're right. You know, we've seen Amazon really take this as an opportunity to to strategically invest in things like uh, like, like fulfillment, like like greasing the wheels of commerce, making it even more friction free for them. Yeah, absolutely. So while Amazon has obviously had a good year, we've also seen Walmart had a good year. We've, you know, Target has had a good year. We've seen a lot of retailers really kind of known for their brick and mortar footprint really start to figure out omnichannel, even in some of those areas like like grocery, where Amazon historically hasn't been as strong. As you look at some of those other competitors in the omnichannel space like Walmart and Target, what do you see as the trends there? Well, I think the the most interesting trend was basically just some 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 major support for how important stores are going to be, uh, especially for those kind of most purchase categories, namely, you know, grocery or grocery adjacent categories that people are stocking up, up on, on on a weekly basis. Uh, what I mean more specifically by that is we saw through the start of COVID uh, that just massive demand crunch, and we saw the omni-channel players that had, frankly, much more of that type of inventory, more proximate to the end consumer 
better able, I think, in a lot of ex in extents to keep up with that demand and get those items um, served to the consumer, whether it be home delivery, whether it be shoppers still coming in the stores, whether it be click and collect, then maybe Amazon, which has always had a competitive advantage in its massive long tail, having uh, fulfillment centers located with maybe less inventory of many more items around the country, having to, to really grapple and be flexible, which they were, but really having to grapple flexible uh, to catch up and, and service some of this demand. So I think, you know, rising tide lifted all boats, but I think it lifted uh, the targets and the Walmarts of the world a bit more than it necessarily did Amazon. Uh, it really helped take their in-store shoppers that they already had many of, and because they could kind of get more of these items in stock, it got them to adopt some of these new digital methods. It basically allowed these omni-channel players to justify more investments in allocating things like store space to click and collect order assembly, or training store associates to pick grocery orders, or you know, investing in new kind of digitally uh, innovative stores because shoppers were increasingly you know signing up for loyalty programs and delivery apps and what have you. So. Uh, I think the tide lifted these omni-channel players more and brought their shopper base and some new shoppers more kind of online in how they interface with them. So a real distinct advantage for them. You also brought up the delivery intermediaries, which I also I think that um, in and of itself is is probably one of the biggest winners through this period. So I, I you know Instacart in the U.S. is 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 the most important one we're talking about here. I think some of their recent headlines, where you know we've done some research on Instacart and their dominance in terms of partnership in the grocery channel specifically is massive. We, we basically uh, were able to kind of plot all of the banners that Instacart's partnered with um, within the US grocery channel up against Instacart. And they've got um, very, very much the vast majority there. But we've seen some headlines, uh, particularly recently in the past couple of months of Instacart kind of branching out you know, into the beauty space with some partnerships there. We have Sephora uh, outwards into you know, Bed Bath, Bath Beyond, a home goods type of space. So basically proving themselves out to be a really valuable partner to these retailers and making themselves more valuable to the end consumer who will increasingly be able to go to Instacart for uh, a wide range of things, not just online grocery orders. So uh, this year has been a massive victory for them as well. So I think I can think the theme in short that I would say is, yeah, rising tide lifted all boats, but uh, perhaps it listed, lifted the intermediaries uh, boat the most, and then the omni-channel players boat the second most. Obviously, we just had Prime Day, which was postponed a couple of times. Uh, you know, historically, it's been in the summer, and historically, it's generated a lot of interest, a lot of news headlines, and Amazon obviously stepped back from that a little bit. Uh, I think for for a variety of reasons. I mean, what I'd always seen in the past in looking at Prime Day data was that uh, you know you would see a certain baseline of sales on Amazon. And then on Prime Day, you see this huge increase up. And then after Prime Day, it would come back to a new baseline, but a new higher baseline. So it's a, you know, it's a step function. If you look at it over time, it literally looks like stairs going up. So that's, uh, you know, historically what I've seen around Prime Day. This year, they postponed it a couple times and then had it uh, pretty recently, just about a, a month ago in mid-October. What did your data show about Prime Day behavior? You know, I know you're well accustomed to and kind of we're alluding to. Prime Day has always been, as all the holidays have been, critically important for brands that sell on Amazon to be successful in, uh, simply because the way the Amazon algorithm works and how you'll perform in uh, both the search algorithms and how um, you know your items are presented uh, is very much involved on how successful your, your ASINs are in their listings. And when you have that many shoppers on the Amazon platform 
it's basically kind of like a, a mini Super Bowl. You've got to be winning there, at least holding share to kind of continue your trajectory. And then, as you said, you can launch an even higher trajectory coming out of a period like that if you're really successful with the promotions you run and, and the offers you have and how your items perform with the shoppers. So I think for brands, critically important day. Uh, this year, I would say, given its compression up against holiday 2020, um, maybe a little bit less. And then also because this year has just been such a huge year from Amazon to begin with. So Prime Day maybe a little bit less important when there was portions of the year that Amazon could just barely keep up with normal orders and had to shut off uh, promotional activity to some extent. Prime Day may be a little bit less important, uh, maybe obviously to everyone on the line here um, uh, this year. But nevertheless, it was the biggest Prime Day ever coming out based on estimates. Um, but we saw a deceleration of growth. I think it grew a little over 40% based on some estimates I saw year over year from last year. Also, Amazon uh, noticeably did not say Prime Day this year was the biggest shopping days ever, which they commonly had in all the previous years, uh, meaning that Prime Day had beaten um, uh, the Cyber 5 days of the previous Q4. That was not indicated this year. That could have been a tactical choice by Amazon um, to maybe not shout as much about their success as, as, as they maybe might um, typically do. Or it could have been simply, as we've all anticipated here, that uh, the promotional calendar is just too compressed this year and Amazon couldn't continue that trajectory and Prime Day wasn't going to beat last year's holiday. But yeah, so that, that's kind of the high level results. I would also call out Amazon calling out the success of its 3P sellers, something like a little bit over 60% year over year growth there. You know, I think over $3 billion in GMV for them during the period. 3Ps are critically important to Amazon as they struggle or, or don't struggle, but uh, operate to try and keep up with um, these massive demand levels. 3Ps make them kind of a, a more profitable marketplace to some extent in that they can charge for FBA for all the 3P inventory that they store in their own warehouses. But many 3Ps that are a little bit more sophisticated can do fulfilled by merchant. And then so that takes a little bit of the fulfillment strain off of Amazon and they still get that commission on the order. So 3Ps had, had a great prime day this year. And yeah, I mean, it was a pretty typical day. It was interesting to see in the search terms performance. Typically around that time of year, you'd see more seasonal items um, really performing at the top of search terms results for Amazon. And, and Prime Day definitely had an effect on those days in October there where uh, we saw the more typical Prime Day-like items, consumer electronics, people searching for literally Prime Day deals, taking up the top, top search terms results for the period. So all of that kind of proved out for the day. Definitely is success, probably, frankly, not as important in 2020 as it was in previous years or for future years, but uh, by no means um, not a success for Amazon. And definitely a good lead in and test run as we kind of head forward into, into the holiday period. Yeah, I think in past years, Prime Day sort of became this great celebration of consumerism. Oh, we're going to be offering all this stuff, come buy all this stuff. And I think part of the toning it down from Amazon is the feeling that that's just a little out of step with how consumers are feeling and what they're looking for right now. Absolutely. In the past, when I've seen data around what really sells well on Prime Day, as you said, you know, this year there's a little bit more of seasonal kinds of things because Prime Day is happening at a different time. But I know historically at Prime Day and also around the holidays, some of the biggest selling items have been on ramps to the Amazon ecosystem. So uh, Alexa devices, Fire Sticks. What do you see as some of the biggest selling individual items around this time? The Echo Dot was um, the number one performing item Amazon set this past year. And as you said, Prime Day and Amazon's overall strategy ongoing 
is all about embedding people in that ecosystem. And so that's kind of a, a, a two front strategy. One is to get them to sign up for a Prime membership. We've all seen the consumer data. Prime members spend more than 2x what a non-Prime member Amazon shopper spends on the platform. So critically important for revenue generation there, but also increasingly important for capturing data because we now know Amazon's ecosystem has spread so much into kind of non-directly commerce-related platform areas. You think of their media, you think of Twitch video game streaming, you think of their devices that having someone as a Prime member is, is, is tremendously valuable because they're going to interface across more of these different uh, surface areas, platforms with Amazon, and Amazon can capture that data and understand the consumer more fully. And then the other front of that battle we were talking about there is, as you said, Amazon devices. So uh, I think, you know, Amazon's devices strategy is one, they saw voice and they saw more and different connected digital interfaces as the future. And they wanted to be the facilitator of that. So they, they kind of invented the voice speaker category, um, so to speak. You know, they control, you know, what that looks like. Their algorithm gets stronger with the more interactions they have with consumers via their voice devices. So yeah, on a Prime Day event, they're going to really, really uh, promote those devices, offer really low prices to get shoppers to buy them and to basically have many of their future voice interactions, this new digital interfa interface connection here going through an Amazon channel versus one that is somewhere else. And then also additionally, more directly and practically related to commerce. I think the connected home is going to be a key point for fulfillment innovation going forward. I know it sounds a little bit intrusive, but I actually do think there's going to be a tremendous uptick in uh, shopper adoption of in-home delivery long-term. Uh, I think the way that Amazon does that really intuitively through their ring system where they have both cameras and locks on the front doors is one way to do that. Amazon last week announced that they're going to roll out more widely across the country. They're in garage delivery, perhaps something more people feel more comfortable with. The garage is a little bit less intrusive in the home. But I actually do think that there's going to be a good portion of the digitally adopting consumer population out there that who are, who are interested even in having an Amazon associate come into the home and deliver perishable items right into their refrigerator because it'll be supervised via these Amazon connected home devices. Uh, what is going to make me install a ring system or an Amazon kind of entry system into my into my garage door if I'm already interacting with my connected home devices through an Alexa speaker? It's just going to plug in that much more easily, and it's all just going to be a more intuitive, out-of-the-box offering to me. Um, so I think Amazon very practically sees that. that uh, we'll call it, you know, last mile is one term. We'll call it maybe last few feet. Um, as being a key point for the fulfillment um, uh, landscape going forward and Amazon wanting to be well-placed there with their hardware. Last few feet is a great phrase. I love that. And one of the things I've seen in consumer behavior since coronavirus is consumers essentially becoming a little bit more monogamous, saying, you know, okay, I'm going to build my home and my purchasing around, say, the Amazon ecosystem, you know, at all levels, including an Echo Dot and Amazon and then, you know, ring doorbells uh, or, you know, some people going the other way, say, I'm going to build everything around Google and get Nest devices and all of that. So I think that that bodes well for Amazon because they do have that tremendous strength of brand that consumers have some trust in them. I mean, how many brands are there out there that consumers would say, yeah, I'm okay with somebody like that coming into my home and actually putting things in the refrigerator. I think Amazon's got the strength of brand to do that. I think you're, I think you're totally right there. And I think, you know, there's a practical element too. Of, you know, installing these systems, there's some, a little bit of technical 
know-how and it's very much easier when they're all kind of from the, the same uh you know manufacturer or at least have you know really good tie-ups and then also even if that's too challenging for you if you're not like the complete techie amazon has as a part of their ecosystem a big slice is is amazon kind of services and as you said it will have that amazon brand on it and you can the vision here is you can have a consultant come in and set up your ultra complex connected home with all these Amazon devices, and it's got that Amazon promise on it, and there's just that trust involved there. And, and that is a key point of friction to people who are maybe not on the far edge of the curve in terms of being really you know tech geeks here, but maybe do want a connected home. And so that's going to be another way that Amazon kind of accelerates uh, the adoption of some of these systems into people's homes. And I think the Amazon device strategy is a really good insight into how Amazon tends to work in general, which is all about experimentation, try a lot of things, see what works. And even from things that don't work that well, learn from that and figure out what they can then inject into the ecosystem. So the Amazon phone is a great example, which is, you know, a huge disaster on some level that would have sunk a lot of other companies. But then they were able to take a lot of the intellectual property they put into that. And that's what it became the, the brains of Alexa in a sense. Oh yes, absolutely. Excellent. Well, now you alluded to uh, the notion of the cyber five holidays, you know, kind of those five days starting with Thanksgiving, going through Black Friday, and then on through Cyber Monday. I don't know if Edge by Essential initially coined that phrase cyber five, certainly from you guys was the first place I ever heard of that phrase. Uh, so you know, what do you see as happening at the cyber five this year? I think a lot of and Amazon says as much in their earnings calls, I think coming out of the period, as as much as this period, we, we think about it as analysts as being kind of driven by the retailers. And certainly these promotions, uh, they're very you know well received by consumers. And yes, consumers are going out for the deals. I, I think it's it's primarily driven though by the holiday shopping period and, and the pattern of consumers that's more naturally there. This comes consumers out as much as we'd like to think it's necessarily driven by retailer initiatives. Um, and so I actually think, and I'm and, and trying to think about what consumer demand might look like going into this year's Cyber 5, I actually think it's, it's going to be a pretty, I'm pretty bullish on the period um, in total here. I think that particularly for, for platforms like Amazon or for people who make e-commerce orders, uh, in general, we're seeing a consumer set, a consumer base that, you know, at times skews uh, higher income to some extent. Um, I think that this year... Uh, for, for those individuals who were fortunate enough to be able to kind of, you know, obviously it's not been a great year for, for the economy to a lot of extents, but for those individuals who were able to kind of continue working from home, there was a lot of areas of consumer spending that just basically disappeared through the year. Um, you know, things like travel, things like events, going out to dinner. And so there's, there is a lot of pent up demand and I think uh, a feeling of wanting to treat yourself and your family. And just wanting to cap off 2020 in, in, in a feel-good way. And that is what the holidays really is to a lot of Americans. And so I think all of this bodes well for uh, purchase behavior through the period and particularly, um, you know, for the holidays and, and gifting through the period. Um, you know, I see kind of, you know, luxury brands, consumer electronics, all of that perhaps having a boon through the period. I mean, we saw when, for example, stimulus checks went out earlier this year during, during COVID that that was definitively felt in the results and the credit card data we were seeing uh, coming out for the period here. So again, I, I just, just the sense in terms of the consumer-driven demand here, that's going to be a strong period. I think, though, on the other hand, people are a little bit promotionally worn out. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they can really reignite 
um, that focus on Cyber 5 specifically. I think based on kind of what I just laid out um, before, just the general consumer demand trends, and then also this kind of cramped promotional period this year, and also this ongoing trend we've seen over the past few years where you've got Amazon and others basically branding holiday 2020 deals from right now forward all the way through to the holiday period. I think there's just going to be less maybe intensity on those specific days. They will be the number one shopping days of the year, but I sense that there's going to be a little bit more of of a spread and an even distribution of of these sales through the period here. Uh, Hopefully, I mean, we'll see what happens as we get closer to the actual holiday, because again, there's always that big question mark on the ability of fulfillment centers and fulfillment networks to keep up with this demand. But I, I, you know, if I were to bring out one theme, Stephen, I would say that uh, maybe a more or more spread or tapered uh, demand trend through the period is probably what we're watching for. Really interesting. You know, certainly in some of the research I'm doing, I do see a lot of evidence of pent up demand in a lot of categories mm. and consumers looking for an outlet. But at the same time, there is kind of this less commercial, less materialistic kind of focus. So I think it, like you said, it may come out in the form of, of more gift giving, more treating themselves, but perhaps a little bit less focused around specific deals and and just opportunities framed in a very commercial kind of way. Excellent. Well, I've got just a couple more questions for you. You've been really generous with your time. I really appreciate it. But one of the questions I'm always curious about is what kind of trends do you see in consumer behavior you think are going to continue post-corona versus what kind of things do you think might snap back after corona? You know, I, I as I said earlier about kind of a more moderated viewpoint on how corona has changed uh, consumerism, I think a lot of the behaviors uh, that some people thought were 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 gonna gonna be dead uh, will persist. Uh, people will be going back. Uh, you know, we've had great news lately uh, around vaccines. Figure fingers crossed that as 2021 kind of progresses, that good news continues. People will be back at live events. They will be back at concerts. They will be back filling up stadiums more so than I know. You know, in certain parts of the country, you can go to stadiums, but filling up stadiums more so than they are today. Um, so there will be definitely um, more kind of you know, a return to that events-based behavior that I've seen some analysts saying, uh, you know, maybe long gone behind us. But one thing that's occurred through all this period is that I think a number of kind of virtual events spaces have really kind of blossomed. So I think about, and and Amazon, you know, maybe might might prove out to be one of their best investments ever, but uh, their Twitch streaming platform, you know, live streaming places for for people to interact virtually, we see, you know, some of the more advanced technologies and gaming systems allowing people via avatars to attend things like virtual concerts. The idea of virtual events has gained much more mainstream adoption, and uh, individuals and consumers who perhaps uh, would never have thought to sit down and watch someone live stream themselves uh, play Call of Duty or Madden, um, you know, prior to 2020, now find themselves with a really cool, new, innovative place of entertainment. Uh, also, additionally, as you know, these live events this year have kind of kind of progressed to some extent. I wouldn't be surprised to see you know major contracts forming between these digital platforms that succeed coming out of COVID nineteen as the as the platforms of broadcasting uh, increasingly things like you saw Amazon has some contracts with Premier League soccer teams. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see in some of the more uh, in some of the American leagues more of um, kind of these tech platforms being the the broadcast tools people use to interact with them. So I, you know, I think there's, there's an interesting um, theme around events, virtual and uh, real life kind of emerging out of the period. Final consumer trend really that I think will emerge here. 
I think that, and maybe this news, this is just on my on my mind because of some of the news that emerged today of Amazon rolling out uh, its pill pack, but now just Amazon prescription pharmacy service, basically to all the U.S. states besides Hawaii today. But I think retail as kind of a provider for healthcare services is is a trend that's here to stay. I think that COVID has one brought healthcare and health and wellness and, and health needs to the front of mind for all consumers. Um, and two, uh, really kind of put, um, you know, value in, in being able to find a location to receive the health services you need, but also, you know, the, the ability to have these things done virtually. I think retailers have led here a little bit. I think Amazon with some of their efforts, um, including today's news about the prescription uh, drug delivery program, are really well positioned to interface with consumers um, around the country whose health needs are perhaps not being met to the level they could be by the U.S. healthcare system to some extent. And so I think not just from Amazon, from Walmart, from others, I think retail filling the gap for healthcare needs um, is, is potentially a theme I see coming out of this period. Uh, something that was going to come for, you know, we, we've been talking about health and wellness at retail for a long time at Edge, but something that COVID really brought to the front of mind for consumers. So uh, definitely a huge trend we see going forward here. Be interesting to see how uh, Prime membership, for example, um, interfaces more going forward with things around health services. It's easy to forget all of the areas where Amazon is playing. And we say Amazon and you think e-commerce, but it's easy to forget about, about pill pack and pharmaceuticals and telemedicine and uh, you know, Amazon web services and Twitch and the whole range of things they're into. And I think you hit a really important point that in a lot of areas, consumers feel there's not a lot of leadership in our country. And I mean, I'm not trying to get all political, but I think there is an opportunity for for brands to step in and offer leadership to consumers in areas like, like healthcare, where consumers might feel they're not getting leadership and, and innovation in other places. Yeah, it'll be an interesting theme to watch in 2021, for sure. My final question that I ask of all guests is, uh, what's one piece of advice you might have for people to thrive personally or professionally at this time? Oh, I, I have nothing groundbreaking here for you uh, at all, Stephen. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's something that you see everyone kind of talking about on the web a little bit, but definitely feel the value in, in, in getting up and getting out for the day in the morning before moving over to my work from home station. I feel like it makes all the difference between feeling productive at the start of the day or not when, when you just kind of carve out a little bit of time to, to actually do something before you sit down to the computer. Um, when you're only walking two or three steps to 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 kind of start your work day. That's great advice. I will take it. Jack O'Leary, Edge by Essential. Thanks so much for Thank joining. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for listening. Please like, share, upvote, hit me up on LinkedIn, smash the subscribe button. It doesn't work if you just click it. You have to smash it. And now to take us out, it's the full version of the song Tourist by Tess Stevens. Check out the links to all her stuff in the show notes and listen to her latest EP, Patient 139, on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere where great rock and roll is distributed to the masses. Special thanks to my main man, all-world drummer and crunch-based guru, Gideon Berger, for connecting me with Tess. Until next time, stay safe and stay sane, my friends. Different place, a different life, I am perfect. And is it worth it? Self-destruct, count it down. One step farther, you're getting now to perfect. But is it worth it? I feel like a tool.
Is it over?